I want to give a quick thank you to all of my $5 patrons and members. That is Absinthe Alice, Alice C, Amethyst, Ahmet, Caroline, Christina Smith, CT, Deborah Tychus, Elizabeth Watkins, Furious Weasel, If in Doubt, Flat Out, Karen Parrott, Kat, Lindsay Pruis, Melody Evans, Melissa Berwick, Myla, Nicholas Moore, Nikki Parsons, Ray Clegg, The New Ongoing 24, Tiger Princess, and Victoria Step. Thank you all so much for your support. So, I'm posting this on here understanding that most people will think this is some unfinished story. A a piece of fiction written like it really happened. I understand and accept that. I'm familiar with this subreddit. And while I haven't read a ton of stuff on here, I've enjoyed what I have read. And I think I get it. But I also don't know who to ask about this. Especially without seeming crazy or turning to some weird form that will give me unreliable answers from pranksters or crazy people. So, if someone has ever heard of something like this before, or you have some thought or suggestion, please post it. Or, if you think I'm making it up, I get that too. And no hard feelings. I work as an in-house legal counsel at a medium-sized, pretty profitable real estate company based in the southeast. I've been an attorney for nearly 10 years, and the closest I've come to a courtroom is when I got to go to a courthouse to do land title searches. I've been married for 8 years, and we have a 4-year-old little boy. I say all this as to give you some idea that I have a pretty good, but ordinary life. I don't have strange hobbies or friends. I don't typically go outside of the normal boundaries of my day-to-day existence to meet odd people or experience dangerous things. But last Tuesday, I woke up to a strange text message. My alarm was set for 7am, but my phone buzzed about 6.40, and it stirred me out of sleep enough that I checked it. It said, You saw something you shouldn't have. Being half asleep, I kind of stared at it for a minute, trying to figure out what I'd seen before the overall weirdness of the message dawned on me. First of all, the sender was blank. No name, no number, no symbols, no indication that there were blank spaces like someone had hit a spacebar repeatedly and had taken the input as characters. I couldn't even highlight anything in the sender space. Second, the font of the message was different. Not like it was a different font than normal, but there were several letters that shifted noticeably higher or lower than the letters around them in a given word. Third, I haven't seen anything. Aside from going to work, a parent-teacher conference, and out to pick up a pizza, I can't think of anywhere I've gone in the week prior to that message, and I sure haven't seen anything weird or criminal or whatever. I showed it to my wife, and she just laughed it off says it's probably some marketing thing or maybe a wrong number. Seems like a reasonable possibility, so I push it aside. Two nights later, last Thursday, I start having bad dreams. When I was little, I used to have night terrors. I'd wake my brother up screaming my head off, 
and it got so bad that even though my parents couldn't really afford it, they took me to a sleep clinic for a few days when I was eight. I don't remember what help they really gave me, but I know it stopped, or I grew out of it. Aside from the occasional normal nightmare, I've never had problems since. But this dream, while it was unpleasant to some degree, didn't feel like a nightmare or even a dream. It felt very real and strangely mundane. I was at a dimly lit library going through old books. While I can't say what I was looking for, I know I felt a growing sensation of frustration and unease that it wasn't there. When I woke up, instead of feeling relieved, I felt panicked. And in my sleep-adled stupor, I tried to force myself back to sleep, but of course that never works. After a few minutes, my phone buzzed. It was another message and the one-sided conversation from my mystery sender. You saw something you shouldn't have. You need to stop before your life. The message stopped there. There was a photo attached. It was a dark picture of a man squatting down in an aisle, peering intently at the row of faded books on a low and dusty shelf. The heavy metal bookshelves and the long aisle made it clear it was a library, and while the picture was a bad angle and poorly shot, I could tell... I could tell it was me. Not me from any library I'd actually ever been in, but... me from my dream. I felt sick as the idea bloomed and took root in me, and I considered waking my wife to show her, but something in me resisted the impulse. Maybe it was fear that she would look at me with worry, or worse, sadness and fear in her eyes. I don't know. I haven't told her yet. I haven't told her about the last of it either. The dreams have continued me at some strange place I consider home in the dream, me at a restaurant, me walking through some unknown town on a stormy afternoon with patches of hail coming down intermittently, thudding against an umbrella with a heavy wrought iron handle. All these things seem real, and I wake up in a strange panic. No more messages for the last few days, though, and while I've grown to dread and hate my phone when it buzzes, my hope was that whatever strangeness had been happening was fading and would eventually take the dreams with it. This morning I found a coin on my nightstand. I call it a coin because it is a small flat disc in the shape of a coin and with a heft as though it was made of metal. But its surface is not metal. It seems to be some kind of molted gray leather or scales, almost like shark skin but it's also solid and sturdy and has some kind of embossing but it's hard to make out due to the thing's color and texture it's probably my imagination but it feels like it's warm the message buzzed through a few minutes later you saw something you shouldn't have and you need to stop before your life is consumed I think I need help. I just don't know what kind. Has anyone experienced anything like this before? I don't know what is going on, and I don't think the message is fucking finished yet. 
Please respond if you know anything. Brief update. I appreciate the response, both public and private. Thanks for some helpful information and suggestions. I've considered trying to text it back, but I didn't at first. Out of concern, it was a phishing scam, and later because... Because I was honestly scared and wanted to ignore it, hoping it would go away. Worried it might provoke a reaction. But it is good advice. And I will try it. My wife is taking our son to her parents tomorrow, so I'll wait and try it when I'm alone, just in case. I do know I'm not imagining the texts, though. Both my wife and a guy I'm friends with at work read them, too. I haven't shown anyone the coin yet. I don't know. Anyway, thank you again, and I'll post an update in the next few days. My son is gone. I, I I don't know how else to say it or how else to start this, and I don't know what the point of any of this is, but I also feel like this is the only place I can actually talk and not sound crazy, even if it's just because everyone here thinks it's just a story I'm telling. When I say he is gone, my beautiful, smart, funny boy Luke, that's what I mean. Not kidnapped, not run off, not missing. As far as I can tell, he's been obliterated from this world entirely. After my first post the other day, I took to heart some of the advice I received and decided I would try responding to the text messages. I was going to wait until Thursday because I knew my wife and son would be leaving to spend a few days with her parents. Not because of all this, you understand, just a visit that's been planned for the last few months. The trip is five hours and to another state, so it doesn't happen often, but I saw no reason for them not to go this time, especially when no strangeness had seemed to touch them yet, and I was about to do something that might provoke some unknown response. So yesterday, I woke up at 6.30, thinking I'd get up early and have breakfast with them before I went to work, as they would have already left before I got home that night and I wouldn't see them again until Sunday. When I stepped out of the bedroom, I saw Luke's door was closed. This was strange, because we never close that door so we can hear him and keep a better eye on him but I figured he just shut it and was either playing or still asleep. I knocked and then opened the door, but it wasn't his room. It was the same room, but with no sign of Luke in it. Where his bed had been, there was an elliptical machine with clothes hanging off it. Instead of a collection of army men and tanks on the floor, there were boxes of books and an old TV. The room was not full, but there was no sign of recent movement of objects to or from the room. I even thought and looked at the walls for thumbtack holes, like where Luke's posters had been hung, but the walls were unmarked and covered with old, faded paint. You have to understand... 
two weeks ago, I would have left this room immediately, assuming I'd made a mistake or was going crazy and would have sought the right room or some kind of help, but now... I'm already fearful I'm going insane or that something large and terrible is coming for me. I take more care to look and consider to see if reality is consistent with what I'm perceiving. So it was only after I went through the room thoroughly and found no sign of my boy that I checked the others. It was only after I'd searched everywhere upstairs that I began looking for my wife. It seems odd to me in retrospect, but I didn't think she would be gone too. Maybe I had some dim animal sense of her presence in the house, or maybe I was just too overwhelmed to process any more at the moment. In any case, there she was, eating a bowl of cereal at the bar that divides our kitchen and living room. She gave me a sleepy smile at first, but it quickly faded as she saw my expression and heard what I was saying. Where's Luke? Who? Luke? I tried to keep my voice even, but I could hear my fear and rage creeping in. Luke. Our son. Where is he? What happened to his room? Why are you looking confused? I swear she looked genuinely concerned as she stood up and came towards me. Honey, you need to calm down. I think you had another weird dream. One where we had a child, I guess? We don't have any children. At least not yet. I was already shaking my head as she spoke. No, no. You're lying or under someone's control. We have a fucking child. His name is Luke. He's going to be five in June. He's... I started crying some at that point, and when she reached out to hold me, I didn't pull away. We kept talking for the next couple of hours, during which she showed me photo albums, social media, emails that either contained no trace of Luke or actual references to us not having kids yet. I agreed to go to a psychologist immediately, and my wife began making the calls, but the quickest I could be seen on a non-emergency basis was this coming Monday, and I got her to agree that making this a emergency was jumping the gun especially with what it could do to my career or my bar license. She said she needed to go into town in the afternoon, and I told her to go, and I was okay. It was probably just stress and bad dreams. In truth, I needed her to go, so I had time for what I needed to do. It may be that I'm crazy, but I'd like to be sure before I commit to that path. If I get medicated, or worse, committed, it may be too late. So, she leaves, me waving and assuring her I'll stay right there, and ten minutes later I'm in my car. I'd like to say that I lied to protect her, and that is true, but it isn't the whole truth. I also didn't trust her entirely, and I wanted to verify Luce's existence without her. So I head to his school. I talk first to his teacher and then the administration. I do it in that order intentionally because I know I'll likely never get to the teacher if I've already been asking strange questions at the office. 
I try to ask my question calmly and with some subtlety, but that's hard to pull off when you're asking about a child that has either been erased or never existed. Both the teacher and the office said Luke was never at that school. They also acted like they didn't know me. When I have memories of going to open house, two conferences, and the Christmas program. I sat out in my car afterward for a few minutes, crying and trying to reconcile what I knew and felt with the world I'd woken up in. I was close to giving up and going home before I was missed when something occurred to me. I knew that teacher. Aside from related to Luke, I'd never been to that school or met that teacher, yet I knew her name, her face, where her room was, and what it looked like. Whatever was happening, it was really happening, or I was so far gone that I was lying to myself and creating facts as needed to sustain the delusion. In either case, I made a decision to pursue it further. I text my wife, apologizing for leaving, telling her not to worry and that I'll be back the following day. I have a long trip ahead of me. Luke was born in the same county my wife was from, the same place I thought they would be heading to today to visit his grandparents. I'd already rejected trying to confirm his existence with my wife's parents for several reasons, but I did want to check the birth records at the county probate court. It was one of the few official ways of verifying a young child's existence, and my hope was that if there was some kind of manipulation going on, maybe it wouldn't go that wide or that deep. And yes, I know I sound paranoid and insane at this point, and I will more so later on. After sending my wife a long text, I finally sent a text to the unknown number. What happened to my son? I probably typed and erased ten different messages before settling on that one. Not too vague or specific, not overly emotional or confrontational. I waited for ten minutes for a response, but none came. Setting the phone down, I headed out. There was no way I would make it to the probate court before it closed for the day, so I drove slowly, using the time to think. At one point, I stopped and got something to eat at a fast food place, going inside just to be out of the car for a little while. I sat inside after forcing myself to eat a few bites of the burger I didn't want when I had an idea. I'd brought that strange coin with me. I didn't really remember picking it up, but... I was in a frenzied rush when I left the house. I went back up to the condiment bar in the restaurant and got five packs of sugar, emptying them on the table and spreading them in a thick but even circle a little bigger than the coin. My idea was that I could try pressing the coin into the sugar to see if I could tell anything from the imprint it left behind. I did it on both sides. On one side there were strange shapes and what might be the words along one edge but they were faint and nothing I recognized. On the other side, it seemed like there was a picture of something. Possibly a whale. I tried to take pictures with my phone, but flash washed it out and no flash was too dark. I gave up and went on the road again. 
By 10.30, I was close to the area and was going to look for a place to park for the night. Having found the idea of getting a room with my card somewhat terrifying, as though someone would find me and capture me in my sleep. I'd already gotten money out of the ATM before heading out that afternoon, and it needed to last me a while for food and gas. But speaking of gas, I needed some. I'd been so preoccupied that I let it get down to the fuel lights, and the only gas station within the next 30 miles was lit up, but closed. The sign on the door said, Back by Midnight. And while I had no guarantee it was true, my stupidity had left me with few other options. So I sat and I waited. The attendant did come back after a few minutes before midnight, as promised, but something else happened before she got there. I'd gotten out of the car a second time to stretch my legs and wake myself up some, pacing the lit parking lot of the gas station and peering out into the surrounding dark. In the distance, I could see the dim, shadowy shapes of a couple of houses, partially lit by three amber streetlights that seemed to have been haphazardly placed to poorly light this spot on the road. Everything was so still and quiet. It felt like I was the only thing living in some dead and frozen world and I saw movement in the distance. It was at the edge of the pool of light thrown down by the farthest streetlight, dipping in and out of the dark. I couldn't see much, and my first thought was that it was a large plastic bag of some sort being blown by the wind, except it didn't move right, and there was no wind. I would just catch glimpses of it, light and dark, shiny and rippling, several feet above the ground and bobbing like an obscene balloon tugged by an invisible child. I ran back to my car and locked myself inside. I was ready to leave gas or no gas, but when I looked again, it was gone. When the girl came and unlocked the door, I thrust $40 at her and pumped the gas as quickly as possible, getting back out onto the road too fast, but maintaining control of the wheel. I didn't stop until I reached the courthouse, and I parked nearby for the night. My plan had been to sleep in the car, but there was no sleep to be had at this point. I kept watching for that shape and writing this that you're reading. If I'm able, I will post this today, which is Friday. This has become a journal of some sorts for me, and I'll still hold out hope that it may lead to help, but at least it'll be a record if nothing else. Update. Apparently, that lady that is in charge of birth and death records is at a funeral and won't be back until after lunch, so I'll post this now. I'll try to post again soon with what I found and any other update. Thank you all for listening and trying to help. I've had a lot happen in the past few days. I'm currently using the Wi-Fi in the lobby of a motel I stayed in last night, and I've been aimlessly wandering since Saturday, never staying at the same place for more than one night. But I think that's over. It's not accomplishing anything, and I'm very tired. That's not what happened first. It's not where we left off, was it? I looked back at what I'd posted. It was all accurate. 
last few days have made me feel sure that I am either so insane that I'm likely in a padded room right now, rocking in my own piss and shit, dreaming up all this, including writing to you, or it's real. And if it is real, I think there's a very good chance that I'm in hell. In which case, would that make it real or just imagined torment? I don't know. But I find the semantics of it pretty funny at this point. But back to the story, right? Gotta tell you the fucking story, and I do. I, I feel compelled. And when I'm getting it out, I feel more at peace than any other time. Like I'm lancing a boil. Enough of my whining. Let's get on with it. I went back into the probate court that afternoon and met with Mrs. Mercer, who was pleasant and helpful enough, though she had no real help to give. She said that the paper records were all transferred in their database back to 2002, which of course covered Luke, who was born in 2013. No sign of him. Tried every search parameter, but no luck. So then I started asking about doing a search of the physical records. Even when they put the records in a computer system, they have to keep the originals of vital records in most states. The woman, again, was as helpful as she could be, saying that I was in luck because they had records going back to 1982 in the courthouse, and that they were about to transfer everything up to 2014 to an off-site storage facility in the next few weeks so to make more room. After that, paper copies from the originals would take a written request and a few days turnaround. But again, she pointed out unironically, today was my lucky day. She led me into a cavernous room filled with deed books and land plats, which made me realize I'd never been called into work the day before or today. Pushing that thought aside, I followed her through another door to a smaller, more densely packed room full of cabinets. She showed me how the filing system worked and offered to help further, but... I told her I would work on it myself. I'd planned it to be thorough, so I made up a more elaborate story that I was doing a genealogical research and Luke was a distant cousin. This made it easier to explain that I would need some time to look through records for not only him, but any other lost relatives. In truth, I just wanted to be alone with the records and make sure it was not misfiled if I didn't find his birth certificate right away. Miss Mercer nodded cheerfully and meandered away, heading to a nearby break room where another woman was apparently eating some variety of office birthday cake. I began searching, and it took little time to see it wasn't there. There was no sign it ever had been. I expanded my search through the entire drawer, then two drawers before and after, going through each certificate individually. It was monotonous, but as I searched began picking up on pieces of conversation between Mercer and the cake lady. They were talking about the funeral Mercer had been to that morning. It was for a man who had run a local barbershop for a number of years, a man who Miss Mercer clearly thought a lot of and had even dated briefly when they were both just out of high school. There was some wistful talk of him being kind and handsome, but what caught my attention was their tone of voice as they spoke. It carried not just sadness or regret, but a thick cord of fear. At first, I didn't understand, as it was incongruous with what they were saying. Then they started discussing how he died. 
The man had been found out behind his barber shop one morning earlier this week, having apparently been attacked the night before. No one knew what had attacked him, but his entire head was riddled with tiny holes. Face, scalp, even under his jaw. The cake woman, whose brother was apparently the local coroner, said they were like little teeth marks, but long needle teeth, and from all angles, and from nothing that he'd ever seen. In any case, the damage done had been extensive. His head had been crushed and punctured severely, and according to the same coroner, and this last part had not been discussed publicly, while the injuries would have killed him, he actually died fairly slowly from suffocation possibly while still being bitten. About that time, the woman looked up at me and I realized I'd stopped just sneaking glances and was staring at them. I smiled and nodded, pretending to go back to my search, but after whispering to each other for a moment, they headed back up to the front. After they were gone, I pushed the story from my mind and headed back into the drawers. After an hour, I gave up on finding Luke. I wanted to cry, but I felt too hollowed out and tired to actually do it. Turning to head back up to the front and away from the courthouse, I had a thought. My wife was born in this county too, back in 1984. I don't know why I felt like I needed to check her too until I did. There was no birth certificate for her either. I searched the entire drawer, a new wellspring of panic rising in my chest. Trying to catch my breath, I pulled out my phone. First, I checked my text messages. She'd sent me three the day before asking me to come home, but each time I had just sent a text back saying I was okay and I would see her when I got back. But since then, nothing. I'd assumed she'd given up for a moment, but now it wasn't true. I called three times to her cell number and twice to the home phone, but there was no answer at either. They just rang. I almost ran from the place, but I got control of myself and waited long enough to ask Miss Mercer to run a computer check for my wife before I left. Again, nothing. I already felt myself growing numb. Thanking her, I left the office. The trip back home was uneventful, and I honestly don't remember most of it. I felt like I was just waiting to read the report saying I had terminal cancer after the doctor had already given me the bad news. My life was gone. Anything further was just going to be confirmation. I pulled up at the house and felt a rueful lack of surprise when there was no sign of my wife's car. My key worked. house was still mine, apparently, but there was no sign of my family or their belongings. I checked the house thoroughly, more out of some need for completeness than out of any real hope, and found nothing. Two hours later, exhausted in every sense, I passed out on the sofa. I found myself in another one of those two real dreams. 
I was walking down a dark alleyway in some unknown rain-soaked city. My face cold as wind whipped past me, bringing with it the spicy scent of old decay. I was headed toward the bright spot in the alley, a neon sign hanging above the door that appeared to belong to some kind of bar or club. There was a bouncer at the door, a thin-necked man with a collapsible baton held casually in his meaty left hand. Without thinking about it, I pulled a coin from my pocket, holding it in my palm for him to see. It was the strange coin I'd found, or its twin. In the dream, I saw and felt it pulse and shift on my palm slightly, though my dream self did not scream or throw it away. After a moment of studying it, the bouncer nodded and let me pass through the door. I woke up suddenly at that point, and it was still dark. My phone had gone dead, but after charging it for a few minutes, it told me that it was actually Saturday night around 9pm. I'd slept for over 20 hours. There were no missed calls or texts, and no signs of anyone having come in while I was out. I was alone. I took a shower, hoping it would clear my head, and I was tired of my growing old sweat stink. I was still numb, but I could tell that I hadn't eaten in over a day, so I microwaved some soup and sipped on it as I looked out the French doors that went out to our back patio in the yard beyond. I stood there for a few moments before I saw the thing floating there. It was the same thing that I'd seen at the gas station, or something like it. There was very little moon that night, but we have a security pole light that illuminates the backyard very well. I could see the thing coming toward me, slowly, still 30 yards out, but slowly undulating back and forth as it lazily crossed the distance. I've thought a lot about how to describe this thing, and I still don't know. In some ways, it reminds me of some giant pale jellyfish. In other ways, it looks like a semi-opaque dry-cleaning bag given obscene life. If it has a head, it is the roundish mass that moves forward, a ball of pale and largely translucent flesh that floats in the air. At the center of this mound is a writhing ball of darkness. It reminded me of a picture I've seen of a ball of snakes mating. If this thing has a center, a, a nucleus, a face... This cancerous core is it. But that's not the entirety of it. Trailing back from it, partially hanging, partially floating by some unknown suspension are more long strands of the same pale and glistening meat. Like a comet's tail, it slowly follows behind the mound, shifting in unknown currents as smaller strands occasionally dart out as though tasting the air. I stared at it for at least ten seconds before I was able to move. I found myself wondering if it might be filled with long needle teeth. And then I ran. It was moving extremely slowly toward the house, so I took half a minute to put on shoes, grab my wallet, phone, and keys, and get my jacket from where I dropped it when I came home the day before. And then I was out of the door, in my car, and heading away. I looked in my rear view, but I never saw it follow. 
That was five days ago. I've been running ever since. Motel to motel, haven't given up any pretense of not using cards or worrying about being tracked. Just trying to stay away from whatever that thing is. Whatever it might want. I called my job once and to my lack of surprise they didn't know who I was. Yet my cards still work, all my online accounts, everything that does not rely on people seems to be purring along just fucking fine. I've been largely on autopilot these past few days, but that changed last night. I saw it again, outside my motel. Only for a moment, and it didn't come closer, but I knew that it knew I was there just the same. So I give up. I'm going home. It'll either get me or it won't. Or maybe, just maybe, I'll go ahead and fucking kill myself if I can get up the stomach to do it. <laughs> It'll probably depend on how scared I get. Because despite everything, despite feeling utterly used and hollowed out, I'm still fucking terrified. This will probably be my last entry. If I survive somehow, I'll post again. If I don't, well, you know. Thank you for listening to all this. I am so alone now, and it means so much to talk about this, even in such a strange format, even if it amounts to screaming out into the dark. Thank you. By the time I got home Thursday evening, I had decided I wanted the thing to come. Whether I wanted it to come back to finish me or so I could attempt to kill it would change moment to moment, but the idea of fighting back had built slowly throughout the day and remained consistent. I was tired of being a victim to whatever this all was, of having things taken away from me. Thoughts of suicide faded more and more, in no small part due to the words of encouragement I received here. And while I was still resigned to the fact that I was likely going to die... I decided I still had a little more will to try and resist left in me. So of course nothing happened that night. When I arrived home I checked the house again thoroughly and it was untouched since my last visit. No sign of my family or their belongings. Now beyond the initial shock of all that had happened and slightly better rested, I had more time to study the pattern left behind by their Erasure. Not only were all their belongings gone, but there were other things gone or different too. My son had done a handprint in clay back in October for a school project. He had given it to me, and since then it had been displayed in the kitchen up against the backsplash on a small stand meant for a photo or a baseball card or something. It and the stand were gone. I had a long waxed raincoat that my wife had given me two years ago. Very expensive and nice, though I rarely actually wore it. I checked out our coat closet and it was gone as well. Even things like furnishings were different. If it was something I had bought or something we'd bought together, it was still there. But, but other pieces of furniture or hangings that she had bought alone or had before when we were together were either absent or replaced by something unfamiliar to me. As I would fill the hole left by the other object's absence. 
my bank account was another strange anomaly. As I previously mentioned, my job apparently no longer exists, and I have no indication of some other job that has taken its place. No business card, no strange contacts in my phone. So I looked on my account to see how much money was left, and where it was coming from. I still have plenty of money in there, more than I usually do in fact, and when I look at the deposit it shows a direct deposit close to $7,000 once a month for as far back as the records go online. The name attributed to the deposits is just a sequence of letters, numbers, and symbols which, if they have some meaning, don't mean anything to me and could well be random. I consider calling the bank the next day to try and learn more about my benefactor, but just the idea of that seems exhausting. I'm ready to be done with this. So I set aside my phone, pick up the softball bat I had recovered earlier in the same closet that was now missing my fancy, rarely worn raincoat, and go back to the yard. For the next hour, I roam outside and in, calling out to the terrible thing that is haunting me, demanding that it confront me. I can feel some ever-shifting mixture of fear, anger, and despair coating my tongue and my words. By the end, I'm more begging and pleading than anything else. But nothing. Fine. It'll come on its own time. I go back in, eat something, and then go to sleep. I can't bear to sleep in our bed or even stay in our bedroom for any length of time. It's too sharp a reminder of my wife's absence or non-existence. So I set up on the sofa again downstairs, and before long, I'm deep asleep. I have long, strange dreams that night, and while they bore the same texture of realness as the other dreams since the text had begun, I don't remember any details of them. What I remember instead is the sudden and sharp pain in my right hand that woke me. I tried to sit up in the shock of the pain, but my hand was immobile down near the floor, so the result was a protesting flare of pain in my shoulder as I spun and fell off the sofa and onto the carpet. Caught myself on all fours, my gaze at a good level to see what was eating my right hand. It was another of those things. I still don't know what to call them, but this one was much smaller. The small, glistening bulk of its body was spread out across my hand like a glove or a mitten, up to just past my wrist. At the time, I was in so much pain and terror that. Very little cohesive thought was occurring, so bear with me as much of my description is based upon reconstructing these events upon reflection. The dark ball of snake's mass I'd seen on the larger one was here too, but spread out over my hand like an inner layer to the horror that was trying to consume me. Looking at it now, I guess that is where all the teeth were from. There were so many teeth. Needles boring down into my flesh, plucking at my tendons and scraping my bones. As bad as that was, the overwhelming sense of pressure was somehow worse, as though the creature was competing with itself as to what method would destroy my hand first. When I looked at it for the first time, I swear it paused and considered me. Though it had no eyes or face I could see. 
Then I went back to work and I began to scream. I couldn't move my hand because I had wrapped parts of itself securely to one of the legs of the sofa and my first few attempts at pulling feet just caused fresh pain with no progress. I looked around for a weapon but I saw none within reach. I did notice where I'd left a strange leathery coin on the coffee table, however. The coin had burst open from the inside while I slept, apparently having been this demon's womb the entire time, but that information wouldn't help me right now. I needed to kill it. My hand was beginning to numb, and I knew I had little time left to save it, if it could be saved at all. Straining with the effort, I partially stood and began moving toward the kitchen, because while this thing couldn't be dislodged from the sofa, the sofa wasn't attached to anything. As I began pulling it and the sofa along slowly, it bit down and crushed my hand more, and I felt sure that it would just burst leaving me with a bloodied, ragged stump, but I kept pulling, my screams having died out in my concentration and effort. I made it across the living room, then into the edge of the kitchen. I thought about a knife, but I was afraid it would just hurt my hand, or it would somehow just dislodge and crawl up the knife to my left hand, spider quick before I could drop it. I began pulling out drawers, and I found an old trigger lighter that sometimes I used on the grill outside. Saying a frantic prayer, I pulled the trigger. Nothing. Again, and a small flame appeared at the end of the lighter. I held the trigger and stuck the flame to the creature's flesh. Dark gray smoke began trailing up from the side of the flame, and there was a terrible smell that made me gag, but that was all. No reaction from the creature at all. The pain was fading now, but that somehow made me more afraid, not less. I cast my eyes around for some new weapon, but I saw nothing other than a small cow salt shaker that must have been one of the replacement objects because I'd never seen it before. I suddenly thought of garden slugs, and having no other ready options, I picked up the shaker and turned it over. Mercifully, salt poured out, and this time the reaction was immediate. The milky flesh turned black where the salt landed, seeming to stick to it and burn the creature as it began trying to release my hand. I put my right foot down on it and my palm to hold it in place as I shook out more, rubbing my hand along the floor to catch salt crystals that missed their mark initially. The creature gave a violent shudder and then went still aside from the continued withering of its flesh. I slid my hand free from its carcass and continued to shake salt with the other until it had desiccated into a small black wad of flesh that began to crack and crumble into flakes before my eyes. I sat staring at the remnants of the monster for what seemed like several minutes, making sure it did not somehow reconstitute itself. Before turning to look at the hand I was holding cradled in my lap, there was no blood or leaking fluid of any kind. Instead, my hand looked slightly swollen, but otherwise normal, aside from the hundreds of small holes that now adorned nearly every millimeter of my flesh. Even the skin on the sides of my fingers had holes, as well as multiple holes through each fingernail. In places where I could clearly see the veins, there were holes there as well, but still no sign of blood. And no pain. No feeling at all, actually. My hand just flopped limply on its wrist without even a tingle or some phantom sensation. 
was trying to decide the best course of action, I looked at my phone and realized it was 2 a.m. on Saturday morning. I had been asleep for close to 30 hours. I considered going to the emergency room for a moment, but I hesitated. I knew in the state I was in, I would likely seem strange at best and totally insane at worst, and for the moment it seemed okay physically unless it had injected me with some poison, which a hospital likely couldn't help with anyway. Ultimately, I decided to just go to the doctor the next day unless things got worse. While I slept no more that night, my hands stayed the same and nothing else happened. This morning, I went to go see the doctor. Since it was a Saturday, I wound up having to go to an emergency wound clinic across town instead of my normal doctor. If I even have a normal doctor anymore. But apparently my insurance card still works and within half an hour, I was back in a room getting examined. The doctor on call was a pleasant young woman who seemed very knowledgeable, but was also very curious about how the injury occurred. Rather than try to make up some elaborate lie that would possibly seem implausible, I just told her that I didn't know. And I woke up outside my house and my hand was just like that. This led her to check to see if I had some head injury or blood pressure spike that had caused me to pass out. Ultimately, she couldn't say much beyond that it appeared that I had severe nerve damage, which she called neuromesis, based on my clinical signs and the wounds I had. She took x-rays and saw a small fracture in my ring finger that she splinted, but said that anything more in-depth would need to be done to the hospital. I told her I didn't think I needed the hospital, but I would follow up with my doctor soon. She protested, suggesting that such a strange and severe injury should be checked more thoroughly than she could accomplish at the clinic and right away. I thanked her and left. I drove home, trying to avoid looking at my right hand, both because it looked disgusting and because it was a constant reminder of the night before. When I got inside, I wrapped it in a bandage. Not because it needed it, but just to avoid looking at the pockmarked skin. My goal had been to stay awake most of the day, monitoring my hand and watching out for another attack. In spite of myself, by noon I'd fallen into a deep, dreamless sleep. When I woke, my nose was assaulted by a terrible, rotten stench. Immediately, I looked at my bandaged hand, which was soggy and laden with some brownish-green bile. Stifling a wretch, I ran to the kitchen sink and pulled off the wrappings. Running my hand under the water there, I saw that there was no sign of anything oozing from my hand. It was as though the holes had been turned on like some filthy faucet and then turned back off again. I washed my hands several times and then dried them carefully, feeling new panicked sadness at the wrongness of it dangling at the end of my arm like dead meat. I felt tears coming to my eyes and I moved back to the living room, noticing the pen and paper on the ground for the first time. It was an old legal notepad that seemed vaguely familiar, but I couldn't recall from when or where. Sitting nearby was a ballpoint pen, the type we kept around the house to make notes or write checks. Both had light drying smudges and the same icor that had been seeping through my bandages and the pad had writing on it. <sighs> 
I recognized my handwriting, and I'm right-handed. Based on that and the smudges, I felt sure I wrote these words with my dead hand while I slept. I don't know what it means, but this is what the notepad said. The magpie song. There's a flock of magpies round me, round me. They soar as high as you see, you see. They took my eyes, but fairly paid, for I rest in their eyes as even trade. Spanning the land and the sea, the sea, there's a flock of blackbirds in flight, in flight. They move to and fro every night, every night. They took my ears, beaks, sharp and wry, but it favors me with each sobbing cry. Found in the new spaces away from the light, the light, there's a flock of crows crying loud, crying loud. They cast shadows, great as a cloud, a shroud. They took my tongue and so my voice. By then I was strong. They had no choice. It's with their pink darts I taste the tears, the tears. There's a sky full of rocks and it's me, it's me. See the remains in the field I used to be, used to be. But now I move free, still young and hungry, still reaching out into the void. I see you, shining there, your spirit unaware. As I finished reading this, my phone buzzed. It said, you saw something you shouldn't have, but now you will see and tell much, much more. I will plan for this to be my final entry, at least for now. If I post further, it will be due to some major change or update, or if I have some new writing I need to share. God help me, but I don't know if telling such thing is a good thing or not. I need time to think. Thank you again for all of your support. I hope this post finds you well. started dreaming again. Since my hand was attacked, I sleep more and more. At first I would sleep for abnormally long periods, but it would be offset by long periods of wakefulness. Over time that is changing and I'm losing more and more time. The only potentially positive side effect of this is that I'm dreaming again and I feel those dreams are a key to something. I don't remember much of them, just spending time in a world that is similar to ours, but very different at the same time. As I walk there, I see cities, people, the features of a modern world, but I see dark and strange things, too. I remember the alley bar from my earlier dream. I think my dream self visits there often. It's an odd and lively place, with trappings of this mysterious other place all around. Symbols on the doors, strange mutterings from a group hunched at a corner table, and music that sounds like something that would be playing at a cat diner in hell. But in the end, a bar is a bar. And here, I can tell people know me. Most seem to respect or fear me, even though I'm wholly ignorant as to why. But it feels real. And compared to my waking life recently, it feels good. I set up at the bar, order a drink from the short, grinning bartender who approaches, and decide to make the most of this profoundly lucid dream. A 
That's when the good-natured buzz of the crowd died. Sensing as much as hearing it, I turned to see an older man entering the bar. He was unremarkable at first, well-dressed but not flashy, nodding to people as he entered, but saying very little as he threaded his way to a booth in the corner. Yet I felt the room tense as he moved through it. I tried to discreetly study him for the reason why, but it wasn't until he was moving out of my field of vision that I saw it. Out of the corner of my eye, I could see something much like the thing that had attacked my hand floating behind him, its tendrils wrapping tightly around his limbs and head. I had to fight to keep from crying out, slowly turning back to my drink and trying to breathe. The thing was much larger than the creature that attacked me or even the one I'd seen in my backyard. And rather than being largely translucent and flowing, it was a dark, smoky gray with sharper edges at irregular intervals along the flesh of its bulbous core. Thinking about it now, I think those might have been more teeth from its dark center, grown so long that they pierced its own skin. I sat paralyzed for several moments, analyzing the glimpse I had and trying to decide what to do next, and that's when I woke up. For the first time in days, I wanted to go back to sleep, to try and see more. Right or wrong, I've grown to feel that dream place is as more or more real than this life, and that some part of myself is fighting to show it to me rather than having me decay in some dreamless slumber. My sleep was gone for the moment. I checked my phone and saw that it had been nearly 26 hours since I was last awake. The strangest thing about my increasingly odd life is that there are no real rough edges. As I've mentioned before, I have money deposited into my account from some unknown source. Everyone I knew has either been erased or doesn't know me anymore. I still eat and drink, but even if I sleep a whole day, I never see signs of soiling myself or being overly hungry or dehydrated when I wake up. I feel like everything has been pruned away so I can primarily sleep and sometimes write these strange things with my corrupted hand. I worry there will come a time when I don't wake up at all. So I go out. I go to the store, trying to avoid the strange looks my gloved hand receives. It'd be easier if not the mild distaste I see when people encounter me and they smell something rotten. Even before they see my hand, even when I know I'm clean, I dress largely the same and I'm not poorly groomed. And I feel like some dirty vagrant who's unwelcome as I push a shopping cart down the aisle. I don't even think they know they're doing it. It's like some deep animal part of them knows I'm wrong now. I like to go to the park sometimes, and that's better, especially when it's empty. I figured out that I can stave off sleep a while by staying in a public place. I think the dead hand doesn't want me passing out in public, but if I stay too long, my normally limp hand will begin to throb painfully and with increasing urgency until I go back home and go to sleep. I feel like a prisoner, but I haven't given up. I'm trying to find any connection between what has happened to me and the writings my hand produces. So far, what I've managed to learn is that there is a Tattersall security, 
some low-profile outfit that does mainly government contracts, so there might be a connection with FM Rider. And based on some forum discussions I found, there's been a strange increase in the amount of door graffiti in certain parts of the southern and central U.S., and out of a few photo examples I found online, several looked like it was described in, it's not a window, it's a door. Finally, I haven't found another writing yet, at least not a narrative. But two days ago, I did find something I had done, the hand had done, while I was asleep. It was a drawing of a cave, or that's what it's meant to be, at least. Below it was just one word. Mystery. I don't know what any of this means yet, or if I ever will. But I'll keep trying, and I wanted to update you on things during the brief window of wakefulness I have. If I can, I will write again. And I hope this finds you well. Hello everyone. I wanted to hop in here at the end and just explain uh, some things. <laughs> so, obviously this story is connected to some other stories. One of them including Mystery, which we have read on the channel at this point, I believe. Depending on when it goes up. Um, so, it's connected to Mystery. If you haven't read that one or listened to that one, I would definitely suggest go checking it out. The other two it's connected to are FM Rider and it's not a window, it's a door. I haven't narrated one of those yet, but by the time this goes up, there will be a playlist specifically for, for this story and stories connected to it. So you can kind of get an idea of where everything exists in this universe. I just wanted to clear that up. I know it can be a little confusing with these like stories that are all interconnected, but I just wanted to assure you that the other two are coming, they're on the way, probably in the same video, since one of them's rather short. Um, other than that, thank you all for the awesome support this month. It's been absolutely insane, and I really, really appreciate it. Take care, everyone.